The Way Out Podcast, episode 341. What is your name? My name is Bob Labou, but I am known as Bob L. Bob, what was your substance of choice or DOC if you had one? I'm a recovering alcoholic who did drugs. <laughs> you and me both, Bob. You and me both. If you keep one, what is your clean and or sober date? Uh, Thanksgiving Day, 1988. Wow. That's amazing. So if I'm doing my math right, that is... 35 years of continuous recovery lived one day at a time. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> Congratulations, Bob. That's a, you know, I always think about that as, uh, you know, my, uh, my inspiration. And the longer I'm sober, the more I realize it's one day at a time. Great. Bob, how do you serve the recovery community? I am the author and director of the Visions uh, Theater of Play on Addiction and Recovery uh, that has reached about 40,000 people in the hearts of treatment centers and shelters and prisons and VA homes and communities, pretty much free of charge with my wonderful recovering gypsies. <laughs> Maybe 500 or more have joined us. I, I don't know, it's a lot. Wow. Recovery Visions Theater has reached more than 40,000 people. That's amazing. It's been going on for uh, three decades. Uh, so, you know, I guess, yeah. I guess so. Yep. That's tremendous. It's absolutely. And I think about that in the context of what we do here on the Way Out podcast and knowing that there's always a ripple effect. So the people that you have directly impacted have impacted other people as a result, right? And it's this ripple effect of positivity and ripple effect of reducing stigma and elevating that recovery is not just possible but worth it uh yes uh, and and recovering people doing outreach to the best of their ability usually with no training uh, on stage, 20 plus people, 25 people involved them in every show, lighting, sound, staging now. And then after each show, going out into the audiences in, in the treatment centers and shelters and saying, join us. I don't care if they have no legs or blind, I want them. Uh, I, and it's an opportunity to give back. I look at it this way, it's an opportunity to give back after taking for so long and shine sort of and uh, it's a healing for them i mean i mean we're talking about being on stage lights in your face and all this and what they're depicting they're depicting bottoms in various scenes 
and the awakening process and coming into a recovery room, sharing about being human, greeting their neighbors, hugging their children. Uh, not all make it in the show. There's, there's an overdose and source, there's stuff like that. We've also, over the years, expanded and uh, we have scenes of domestic violence, uh, youth at risk, homelessness, HIV, believing recovery brings sanity. And this is not a one hour show to depict a highlight. We are depicting highlights in about 20 scenes in relatively a couple of minutes. Bang, zoom, bang from one, one part of the stage after another. And uh, it's about, it started at a 25 minute uh, piece. And now it's, uh, it's about an hour, easily an hour. It has music in it, always had music. And uh, it seems just right. Time tested for 32 years. Uh, we didn't go in doing a three-hour production in a rehab where people can't even focus. <laughs> yeah. Yeah and, yeah, and so it's just fine. And with, and the reaction still continues. Otherwise, I would have went fishing or something. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> you know. I love it, Bob. I love the focus on this moment that all of us that are in recovery have experienced in one way or another a moment of reckoning followed by a moment of true surrender and an awakening. That is such a powerful moment for those of us who are in recovery and a powerful experience for folks in and out of recovery to witness. Yes, and, and that's what the vision play does. We are showing misery. Oh, we're showing misery. Mm. This is a no little kid show. Mm. Um, in fact, you know, stigma is so much mentioned today, but we are the stigma of reality from substance abuse. I'll tell you the truth. There's no holds barred here. Yeah. But more importantly, anybody could show misery. We are showing the awakening process, which is done in silence as people hit their bottoms and reach out in this great light and music and it's, they freeze and you can feel it and the audience feels it and it's beautiful it's it's the key to the whole play and then you see them in a recovery room sharing uh before you see them before using hitting their bottoms and then you see them sharing in a meeting you know it's just it's just amazing and um yes the the awakening which which as you know is a gift you know that Indeed I do. The gift I received of desperation followed by an awakening, followed by my recovery that continues to this day. And the intentionality around displaying the unvarnished reality 
of addiction and also the power and the spectacular nature of an awakening is such a wonderful thing to display as the center of the theater. We're going to talk a lot more about that in the main part of the interview. Final question, Bob, what does recovery mean to you? What does recovery mean to me? Recovery means that I have the potential to be what I'm supposed to be, what I could be. Uh, not with my head hanging down, walking, and and not greeting, you know, coming out at night at my house so the neighbors don't see me. <laughs> Be productive at work. <laughs> being on time. And uh, and being being when I'm being a a good a good person that we're supposed to be. And uh, and more importantly, uh, understanding that I'm special. We're special people. And maybe, maybe, just maybe, we got lost somewhere on our way home and uh, we thought drugs and alcohol were a medium to find it. And so when that is, when we stop, that urge to come home comes comes even stronger. Mm. And that's why there's this 12 steps, a way to come home. Now, that's so beautiful, Bob. And I couldn't agree and identify more with the idea that recovery is really about unlocking our potential. And prior to recovery, for me, for sure, especially right before my own reckoning, that person felt so far away and unachievable. And entering recovery and working the 12 steps unlocked that potential for me that I am still very much actively pursuing. And like you said, there's a vigor amongst many of us who are in recovery because we were lost for so long. And the undeniable magnetism and draw to fulfill our potential and use our gifts, skills, talents, and abilities for good. To your point, when you talked about we took for so long and now I have this opportunity to be able to use my gifts, talents, skills, and abilities for good. And it feels so good to do that. Yep. You're a good man, Charles. You know that? Welcome, Way Out faithful and first-timers, to this week's installment of the Way Out podcast. We appreciate your ears. Our mission is simple, to bring you powerful recovery stories and recovery power topics so you can jumpstart or re-energize your recovery from alcoholism and addiction. The Way Out podcast does not speak on behalf of, nor are we affiliated with any 12-step organization. The Way Out podcast is a proud supporter of Transitions Daily. Would you like to join a free, anonymous, 
online group that offers a daily topic email with popular recovery resources accompanied by a secret Facebook group for discussion? Go to dailyaaemails.com for more information about Transitions Daily. Don't forget to share dailyaaemails.com with friends, in meetings, and with sponsees in recovery. Make sure to check us out on the web at www.wayoutcast.com. There you can subscribe to ensure you get the latest episodes first on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Help us recover out loud by giving us a five-star rating and review on your favorite podcast app. Your voice matters, so share your thoughts on recovery with us by calling us at 218-382-1960 or leaving a message with us on the Anchor app, available for Android and Apple. Someone, somewhere, needs to hear your share. Listen up, everyone. Certified and professional recovery coaching is now available by going to wayoutcast.com and then clicking on Recovery Coaching. We want to help you and those you know who want help in building a strong, rewarding, and enduring recovery. Let our recovery experience and training enhance and strengthen your recovery by visiting wayoutcast.com and then clicking on Recovery Coaching. Finally, a word of caution, this podcast may contain strong language and mature content. Listener discretion is advised. The Way Out Podcast is on right now. I'm Charlie, and in this edition of The Way Out, I'm absolutely honored to bring you my interview with President of Visions Recovery, Inc., Director and Author of Visions Theater, and Person in Long-Term Recovery, Bob Laboo. Bob shares his journey to and through recovery to this point with us with unbridled honesty and a refreshing humor that makes it all the more enjoyable when we are taking in the rather poignant spiritual and recovery wisdom that is embedded within it, and all the more inspirational when we learn what recovery has enabled Bob to do as a result, namely the divinely inspired Visions Theater which is a play by and for people in recovery that depicts various iterations of two of our most defining shared experiences as people in recovery. Our moment of reckoning, followed by our entry into recovery. This powerful performance has the power to do what all good recovery stories have the power to do, and that is to break through our denial and terminal uniqueness and inspire within us the idea that recovery may in fact be possible and worthwhile for us. Stories afford us an opportunity to see ourselves in others that have felt like we felt, did what we did, and thought like we thought and have gotten better. And these stories contain a roadmap and medicine to help us find our own way out. Bob truly believes we who experience addiction are but lost souls who are desperately seeking our way home. And once we do find our way, often we embrace life with an uncommon vigor that enables us to reclaim and discover our gifts, talents, skills, and abilities and use them for the greater good of humanity. 
And in the process, we become increasingly closer to the people we feel called to be. And this here episode is proof positive. So listen up. Bob LeBoo, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us here on the Way Out podcast. You are the president of Visions Recovery, Inc. You are, in fact the director and author of Visions Theater, and you're a person in long-term recovery. And you're here with us to share about your journey to and through recovery to this point, as well as all about Visions Theater. And I'm super excited for all of that. Before we dig into that, why don't you take a moment to introduce yourself to the Way Out podcast audience. Tell us a little bit about yourself, and we'll get started. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Charles. My name is Bob LeBou, but I'm known as Bob L. I'm the author and director of the Visions Theater Play on Addiction and Recovery, which has silently and quietly reached more than 40,000 people in the heart of treatment centers and shelters and prisons and communities, pretty much free of charge with uh, over 500 uh, volunteers, few actors here. Uh, bringing a message about hope and recovery from substance abuse. The Visions Theater has visited many treatment centers over the three-plus decades it's been in operation, and the main goal of Visions Theater is what? The main goal of Visions is to depict uh, the awakening, is to show addiction, not speak it, show it. It's like opening a blind in a window and peeking in, and from what I'm hearing from a lot of the audiences, that was me in that scene, that was me. Where there's about 20 short scenes that deal with addiction and bottoms, and uh, we have an awakening process, and coming into... Uh, a recovery uh, 12-step meeting, which we don't name in particular, and treatment and sharing about being human. And, and again, hugging our neighbors and, and, uh, and all that. I love that, Bob, because I love that, Bob, because you're telling stories. We're showing stories. Yeah. We're, we're, we're go- I, I think there's a storytelling that's become very popular. Well, you know, I guess so. I guess we are. <laughs> There's, we're showing them. <laughs> we have a whole set of lighting and a sound. We have a crew. We have staging. And not only is this gas performing, part of the deal is you got to help set it up. You got to yeah. go to these treatment yeah. centers and erect this whole thing and tear it down. That's part of the deal. Mm-hmm. And uh, then go out in the audience, meet their peers, and and who who come up to them and say, that was me. They identify right with whatever characters and then ask them to join us. Uh, no experience required. They're all experienced anyway, right? Absolutely. There's no and, question. Uh, they have all that good stuff. So we're giving a lot of people that may never have the opportunity to be in theater. I don't yeah. know. They probably locked the door to some of these people. <laughs> but we're giving them the opportunity to be on stage. And uh, it's so wonderful. It's a, it's a way of giving back. And uh, 
it's a sort of healing. It seems to it seems to raise their heads and they feel good about themselves. And and over the years, and since the very beginning of Visions 32 years ago, I just it was a gift to me. So I, I'll explain that. Uh, we've been anonymous. There are no last names in Visions. Saw that. When I visited the Visions Theater There's website. No may, you may see a John, but there may have been eight, nine Johns. Right. And, and so forth. So because it was a gift. I, I, I was working in an auto plant. I, I'm no writer. I just got on my knees and prayed, and, and that it happened. I was able to write the script. But anyway. Uh, Bob, there's a number of powerful components of what you're doing with Visions Theater, not the least of which is providing a vehicle for folks to identify with this universal experience in addiction and recovery, which is our moment of reckoning, followed by an opportunity to recover. And what that looks like and what that feels like. And as you stated, there's folks in the audience saying, that was me. And if I identify with that, just like if I go into a 12-step meeting and identify with somebody's story and say, I was like that. I felt like that. I thought like that. I drank like that. I used like that. And they got better. Well, maybe I can get better, too. But I have to identify first. I have to believe that you were like me. And you're providing that opportunity with Visions Theater. I have to believe that you were like me, that that was me. And then you see these people enter into the sunlight. And that's when... I believed that maybe I could recover too. Because prior to that moment, I believed that I couldn't. I believed I was different. Believed you could, but I couldn't. For many years, recovery was for other people. Because I had tried it, and I had failed. But then I listened to stories of people that were like me, and I started seeing myself in other people's stories, and they got better. So I thought, maybe, just maybe, I can too. So you're providing that critical opportunity for people to identify and then believe maybe they can recover too. The second piece that I really love about this is the purpose that Visions Theater is giving to folks that participate in it. The purpose in helping create this opportunity for others. Charles, it's the cast describes, I, you know, after we do a show, we usually have a meeting in a circle because I want to hear what they hear from the audience. And, they'll, and then they'll go around and they'll share 
their experiences with, because I need to hear all those stories from them when they yeah. go out there. And honestly, they're still weeping. There are men weeping in their prime with muscles after mm -hmm. seeing visions. They are weeping in the prisons. They ain't weeping because they want to kill themselves. They're weeping in, in, in hope. And um, women who've lost their children are hugging us. So it's just, if that didn't happen, if the reaction wasn't like that, time and time again, I, I would have I stopped. Yeah. And I don't believe, honestly, that we are we are doing i think we kind of serve as a medium yeah for a higher power to work through this wonderful group like a prison to a like a prism going out into the audience i honestly believe because it seems that the hardest places we go are the greatest reactions i don't know who's going to come up to us weeping uh, i don't know it i can't say why i, I but it happens it happened. And so, and there's no words. You're hugging them. They're crying. I mean, it's unbelievable. You think you went to a church revival meeting. <laughs> it's, it's just, uh, and so it's a great, great gift to us. And from what I'm hearing, it's actually breaking denial with a lot of people. They're seeing themselves on stage. Yeah. They're not hearing, oh, this guy's going to share now and all this. Right. <laughs> so, but anyway, can I get into the, a little bit of my uh, bottle? Yes, please do. So tell us a little bit, Bob, about your journey to recovery to this point. I was thrown in in a holding cell in the county jail because uh, I was drinking very heavily. The wife wouldn't let me in. It was a holiday. And I tried to kick in the door of the, of the basement that I was living in. And uh, the cops came and, you know, I had a big scuffle with them and uh, they charged me with assault. They threw me in the county jail. It was early in the afternoon and uh, I was uh, thrown in a holding cell. It was very crowded because, again, it was a holiday and I was banging on the ground. I'm going to get the cops. I'm going to get the wife. I'm going to get this one. And the brothers in the cell took the biggest white guy grabbed him and shoved his head down the toilet like they were going to drown him. And then after they were done, they were going to do me. I was in the middle of that circle. They were pushing me and the cops came in. Everybody scrambled out and I got on my knees and I screamed, God help me. God help me. And then I just said, I'm going to die. And I surrendered. It was almost like I was underwater. And I needed to come up for air and somebody was holding me down and I couldn't make the top of the water. And I, it was, I was going to die. I just gave up and something happened. A great peace came over me and I was able to go to sleep. And I realized I was bailed out the next day, but I realized just before I went to sleep that I didn't do that. I wasn't me. Good thing I didn't realize that 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 the realization of what I was a drunk an alcoholic didn't come from me because that's not a good thing. I realized it was something else, and I also realized that it was a gift. And uh, 
But anyway, I made my way with restraining orders. I had restraining orders. I uh, lived in a senior, snuck up the senior citizen building of my father when nobody was looking and slept on the couch. I went to a meeting. Uh, I found a meeting book rolled up in my back pocket. I would circle it every day when I went to work. I was working in an auto plant. And um, I came home after the meeting, ate, and tried to go to sleep. And if I figured I made it to sleep, I made it through the day. Yeah. And and that's what – there was a routine. Right. And I would go to the meetings and sit way in the back. I don't know what to say, right? <laughs> I sat in the back. There's people 20, 30 years, 15, 10. I, yeah. How can I identify? I mean, right. I don't know. I, you know, I, I, I said, well, maybe he only had a cocktail or something. <laughs> but anyway – there were people that came in who had weeks, days, and I identified with them. I, I gave me hope. But it was in Jersey City in one of the meetings in the hospital there. It was the winter. Oh, the day was Thanksgiving Day in the jail. I consider uh, my recovery starts on Thanksgiving Day. And I, I really believe that every day we, we don't drink or use is Thanksgiving. But anyway... So I was in the meeting in Jersey City with about two monster something. It was cold. It was hood over my head. It's sitting way in the back. I sat down and it hit me. I, why am I here? What am I doing here? I don't need this. I've had enough of this. Two months of this going back and forth. Not, nobody's, I never talked to nobody. And at the end of the meeting, this 12-step meeting, they read how it works. And as they read, and it was a pretty big room, as they read how it works, it was as if they were talking to me. Mm. And I remember looking around, there was nobody behind me. And, and I, it was the longest meeting in the world. It was about 27,000 hours while I was sitting there. <laughs> <laughs> but I couldn't get up. I was embarrassed. They might say something. <laughs> but when they read how it works, it revived me. And uh, I, I continued on for my journey, and I went to West New York, right across from New York City meeting, and I walked in, and the magic hit me. There were smiles, there were hugs, it was a handshake, and I felt love. I hadn't felt that in so long. And, and I, I realized later what they saw in me, they saw in themselves. And I joined the group. And uh, I was still uh, still uh, in the senior building, sleeping on the couch. And I went to a uh, business meeting. And, of course, I sat way in the back. And an old timer says to me, hey, kid, how much time you got? Well, I said, I have about 90-something uh, days. He said, you're going to run the speaker meeting. Oh, no, 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 I can't do that. <laughs> no, no, no. Oh, it'll be good for you, kid. Well, it was probably the greatest act that the fellowship ever did for me the opportunity to do service. Things changed. Uh, I made new friends. People, it was just wonderful. I felt, I felt a part of a group and it was wonderful. And um, about eight, eight or nine months down the road, uh, there's a theater, uh, Union City Theater was doing their passion play that they do every year. And I seen an audition, so I decided to go for it. I never went for any audition. I was working in the assembly plant. And uh, I went in. It was huge. The, the ceiling fans looked like toothpicks up there. And I was <laughs> on this big stage, and the, the woman director was out there somewhere in the middle, maybe a 1,000 seats. I couldn't see, and she's screaming, 
Guauda, I can't hear you. Read it, read Guauda. And I'm like, oh man. But two weeks later, I get a call and the director calls me and she says, you're cast as young James the Apostle. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> I called my sponsor up. I said, I did it. I did it. What'd you do? I said, I am in the passion play. I am young James the Apostle. I said, I, I did it. I did it. He says, tell her you can't do it. I said, what do you mean I can't do it? I want this. He said, you can't do it. I said, I need this. I deserve this. And he says, your wife just got out of rehab for her drug use. You got a, a son, teenage son, all screwed up from both of you drinking and drugging. He was in counseling. And you got a baby daughter. Your plate is full. I started arguing and he started screaming over the phone. Your plate is full. And so I waited. I waited a year. Things seemed a little more normal. The wife went to the other fellowship. Thank goodness she didn't go to my fellowship. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I joined a little uh, community gr a theater group in the county. And uh, I had my first role with a ski mask, black ski mask, black turtleneck, black pants. And I came out for this murder mystery and I stabbed the girl, carried her off about 30 seconds, and I invited about 30 people from the rooms to come see me. And I said, how was it? Oh, you were great, Bob. <laughs> I didn't say anything. <laughs> anyway, anyway, um, they, they uh, let people bring in works for a workshop that they could present. So I was working on the assembly line, catching freight, coming down to almost a half a mile sortation system, pick up a box, put it in the metal cage that looked like a closet and then roll it away. And that was my job, eight hours a day. And I decided, let me write about what it was like in addiction from my point of view, from work point of view, society, family. And I started writing. As the boxes came down to shoot, I would write a sentence and the boxes came. I never wrote nothing. But anyway, uh, I had two pages. <coughs> Excuse me. I had two pages and um, I couldn't write anymore. And I said to myself, Bob, you never finished nothing you ever wanted to do. And in the cage, I got on my knees and prayed just like I did in that holding cell. And something happened. Uh, I felt inspired, and I started to finish this short script. I snuck in at the end of my shift into the traffic department, and they had typewriters, and one finger at a time, I pecked at it and wrote the script, took it back. I called it Visions, because it was like a vision. I was able to see the end of it, and um, I, I brought it back to the theater group, and they like, no, you can't do this. It's too harsh. It's too real. <laughs> I was taking an acting course, beginning acting course in a college. And uh, I had gone to college for that. And uh, they said, no, it's the same thing. I couldn't understand. I thought the play was a gift. So anyway, the, I was really, uh, I couldn't believe it. But anyway, it winds up in the hand of someone who is on a H&I, Hospital and Institution Committee, who was having in a convention about six months down the road and they read it and they said to me, wow, let's do this at the convention. Oh, I got it. Now what do I do? Where do I get actors? <laughs> <You're right. laughs> How do I do this? So I went into the rooms and I said, you know what? 
you'd make a good bum. <laughs> you'd make a good hooker. You'd make a good pimp. You'd make a good <laughs> only only perhaps in twelve step rooms can you get away with telling somebody that and not get hit. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, I'm gonna get hit with stigma. But you know, I didn't whitewash it. But anyway, five churches lent me space. And I began to rehearse a few here, and I, need, I needed 20 people. We, uh, and uh, I rented a, a primitive audio and lighting system. I built screens. There was no carpet. I filled shop. <laughs> and I, I made a frame. I put uh, in there two by fours uh, to brace them and all this. And so we had screens. And, um, and, and uh, what else now? Anyway. I decided that the day before we did the convention, I needed to test vision. So I took it to a long-term treatment center called Seek Integrity House in Sea Caucus that had men and women. And we did our first show there. We actually did two shows. The first show we did, which was about 25 minutes, man, a really big guy comes up and he's weeping like a baby talking about the harms he had done to his son. Mm. For the second show, for the women, they're hugging us. Women who had lost their children were hugging us. And the reaction at the convention the next day was, was the same. And so I decided from then on, and even then, that it would we would never use last names. And we would decline most publicity. We would decline it. Because <laughs> I think at that time, mothers of... Uh, Mothers uh, uh, against drunk driving or something. When I told them they were going to do a big press conference with me and all right. that, but I, I I canceled that and they were pissed. But I canceled. But anyway, we decided we would do. We would remain anonymous and we would decline. We would decline press, and we would do it for nothing. <laughs> so, so it expanded. As we did, as we kept doing the treatment centers and this and that expanded. Now we're reaching down, you know, now we're going into the treatment centers and all that. And eventually it would expand to an hour production. It would, it would reach as far west as Texas, Kansas, Michigan, West Virginia, Pennsylvania, New York State. Uh, we're out. I don't know. A couple of places. <laughs> and and uh, with the help of your great pioneer congressman, Jim Ramstad, we secured uh, a show in the House of Representatives for National Recovery Month. And 22 of us made it down there. I had a I went to a couple of rotary groups and this and that and begged for money. I hated it. Mm -hmm. And I put up the rest. And 22 of us performed in the House of Representatives. And uh, Racism Recovery was in its infancy then. They were there, Pat Taylor. Yeah. And uh, it was wonderful. It was wonderful. We, we had the first two rows filled up with a treatment center in Washington, D.C., front row seats for our beloved audiences. And... Um, but anyway, since then, uh, we still we love the treatment centers. And over a period of time, I spent years going into treatment centers and training them people in early recovery to put on the show for their peers. So I would go to the treatment centers, Eva's Village in Patterson. I went there four times. 
form four different troops, and they would do it for their peers. Uh, and then I went to a prison, Kintock Prison in Newark. That was wild, bro. And I trained them. I tried to take them out to bring them to schools, but I couldn't. And I, it was all done free. And I trained them over a period of weeks, and they performed there. Phoenix House I trained, and Samaritan Village. Samaritan Village in the Bronx did Rikers. I was so worried when I went to Rikers because it took for hours for to get them in because right. they all records, right? But when I got in, they started introducing, hey, Bob, I want you to meet my cousin, my brother. <laughs> I was like, wow. <laughs> Unbelievable, right? <laughs> anyway, um, we had some, uh, uh, we did the, eventually we did the uh, NA World Convention. Uh, we did the World Convention. That is so cool. And then uh, we did, uh, the, we were on the Trump Marina one day, uh, opened up for the uh, New Jersey Addiction Treatment Providers. Nora Jones was on the stage the day before. And I remember walking on the stage and saying, my God almighty, look up. we're like ants. Here right. on the stage, and we have hardly any props, furniture, nothing. My guys were way up uh, in the auditorium telling the union techs what to hit. And I said, and it was every uh, uh, administrator from all the treatment centers in New Jersey in this orchestra seating. And it was the greatest show we ever did. They were, you could have heard a pin drop. And we had, and the guy who was in charge, Jim O, of it looked like a pirate. He was weeping after. Oh, I had no idea. <laughs> I'm like, it's okay, Jim. <laughs> and, <laughs> anyway, as time goes on, as time goes on, I, I got on my knees again and asked God, I want to make a film. And uh, I always wanted to make a film. Mm -hmm. But anyway, I looked at the uh, best uh, film school in the East Coast, and it was Tisch Film and Television in, in NYU. Looked at their faculty, which was like 200 people, said a prayer, and I pointed to two people, and I called them up and said, I want to make a film. I have money. I lied. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did it. I lied. Anyway, the professor, he meets me, right? Um, his name was Carl, Carl Badash. He was Hungarian, goatee, uh, beret elderly guy and he looked like you know excessively DeVille this guy <laughs> and I went to his office and he's looking over the script hmm, hmm, hmm. and he seemed somewhat interested and then I pulled out out of my back pocket a film script that a young NYU grad had written eight years ago but we were going to get funded but it never happened and all this and I don't know what happened to him and he looks at I said here and he looks at the film script and he goes Morgan Spurlock? Well, I didn't know Morgan Spurlock got nominated for Academy Awards for Supersize Me. So he take, gets up out of his chair and goes, come with me. And he takes me through the halls of NYU Tisch Film <laughs> School of Television. And there's Morgan Spurlock, photos and pictures everywhere. And he says to me, Morgan Spurlock is NYU's favorite son. So he took on the, uh, the No program. way. And he made a 75-minute docu-feature called Demons and Angels. And we had showings at um, Keene University, NYU. We were in the Recovery Film Festival in New York. And I had to pay to see it there. <laughs> and, uh, and it's still on the shelf. But anyway, uh, so we've had some wonderful things happen.
And and then again, one day I said, I don't have any more money to put into visions. I retired from the uh, uh, auto plant after 31 years. And I said a little prayer and I put up my crappy equipment on Craigslist to hopefully I can get somebody to rent it. And I hooked up with a wedding planner starting out and she began to use me and she says, I need this and I don't have it. So I bought some of it and now I'm working for her and she became the biggest wedding planner on the East coast. No way. <laughs> so my techs who were, you know, in the prisons and shelters with me doing the lighting are now, we're now dressed up with ties and jackets we're eating cocktail <laughs> at the weddings, and we became wedding lighting specialists. And there was income coming in for the first time. Uh, along the way, uh, I still have that company. I lit up, I, as I told you, I lit up Springsteen for a fundraiser with friends. With uh, uh, that was crazy, but anyway, uh, for a cancer benefit, uh, I lit up Godfathers, movie stars, and Yankees, and things like that. And I still have my little uh, event company which provides income provisions. But in 32 years, we have no funding provisions. Mm. We're kind of an outcast, I think. We're kind of For like sure. James Dean or something of uh, <laughs> Because, you know, when people are talking about stigma, we are stigma. <laughs> We're showing stigma. Yeah. And, uh, but anyway, and, and not only that, I didn't ask for money anyway. Um, I didn't know the recovery movement got so great. And recently I stuck my head out from the underground where we usually are. And I realized how big it's become. I didn't know. I didn't know that there's, they're all recovery organizations across the country. I remember when Faces and Recovery was marching. I was marching on the steps with them in Washington in the old days. Uh, so I've been reaching out to a lot of people including you, Charles, to let us know that we exist now. And I did my first workshop for CCAR down in uh, Florida uh, in January. I don't, know, I don't know how I did. I, I did my first workshop, performance uh, theater. Anyway. I love that. I am a CCAR alum. Oh. So they are very near and dear to my heart. Uh, as a trained recovery coach professional from CCAR and uh, uh, also a certified peer recovery specialist. So CCAR and, and their model and the work that they've done is absolutely tremendous in the recovery community. And Bob, you're a man after my own heart because this podcast is very similar to Visions Theater. We've never, ever taken a paid ad and we won't. We've never, ever taken a paid sponsorship, and we won't, because this podcast is for the recovery community and for folks that are either in recovery, contemplating recovery, or for those who are just plain curious. But I will not subject the Way Out podcast faithful to an unskippable 30-second ad on the front end of every episode, despite how often Spotify 
wants me to do it <laughs> and asks me to do it. <laughs> you mean I can't put my thing up on your show? <laughs> I'll tell you what. I'm only teasing. I'll do that for free. Uh, we promote Transitions <laughs> Daily, which is a great 12-step resource, daily 12-step email that you get every morning. I don't get a nickel for that, and that's part of what we do. And so uh, we would love to help promote Visions of Theater as a part of this podcast, because that's what this is about. So, and the other piece about Visions Theater that I really love is it's the embodiment of doing the next right thing and more will be revealed. And as you, Bob, continue to do the next right thing and lean into your higher power, you were afforded opportunities to be of service in ways I got to believe you never thought possible. No, it, 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 that awakening is, is, is tremendous. If you said to me, what is one of the greatest things ever happened to my life? It would be the awakening to the recovery process. It, it, it's just, it's, it's unfathomable. It's just unbelievable. And I can, intimately relate bob with the experience of having this unshakable reckoning that i got to do this this has to happen that's exactly how this podcast came into reality my higher power just told me i needed to do it that's bottom line go to bed i'm in early recovery and to your point i didn't started until after a year in recovery. Too much on my plate. I had some stuff I needed to to get done. I needed to work the 12 steps in order with a sponsor to the best of my ability. I had therapy that I went through uh, in order to get on a path of wellness. And I needed to really listen. And I really needed to be one of you all. And then I started this podcast. I kind of thought it might go away. Maybe this is just a thing and this will go away. And it didn't go away. <laughs> so after a year and some months is when I launched this podcast because my higher power kept telling me to do it. And so uh, I can very much relate to that experience too. Yep. Bob. Circling back a little bit, you talked about that moment of reckoning that you had in that jail cell, which is just unbelievable. That series of events of being spared from being dunked in the toilet and then having this really powerful experience. How long had you been in your alcoholism before this moment? Did you started? drinking from early on was this a late set to tell me a little bit about that i came in i came into recovery in 1981 i had i had a small common gear one of those sports things i was coming back from a uh overnight bar what do they call it? after hours place in the city and i almost made it home and i fell asleep and that thing that sticks out of the hydrogen, that little side thing, I caught it with the carmageddon, like a tuna fish can with the with a can opener. And 
the wife went nuts. And and the next morning, it was a holiday the next day as well. And I it was Halloween. And I remember I had to take my son, who was about six years old. She was screaming. I was shaking so bad. I had to take him trick-or-treat, and I thought I couldn't walk down the street. And and when I got back and I and I collapsed, and when I got after trick-or-treating, she called AA. And AA came, two guys came in a Volkswagen wearing hats and trench coats. Then. <laughs> <laughs> the old the old school 12 step call yeah right yeah. <laughs> and i was at the top of the steps because we looked in the basement but our bedroom was upstairs and she's saying they're here i said i ain't coming down they're here so they got me down and they threw me in the back seat and they took me to a meeting in fort Wayne in new jersey which is near the george washington bridge and the people were going around at that time sharing I have this much time, this, this, this at the beginning of the meeting. And it came to me. I said I had, uh, my name is Bob. I had a drink, uh, I don't know, a couple hours ago. And they started applauding. And then I got up and threw up. (laughs) 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 And so they were really nice. They gave me some candy. The next day they took me to their 12th, uh, to a meeting to make coffee in, in my town. And, uh, I, on, on 90 days, I wore a suit. I stood up. My mother was there. My wife was there. Everybody was crying. <laughs> and uh, I stayed a couple more weeks. And then I had a sponsor. I think his name was Don. I don't know. He told me his sponsor. Don is your sponsor. But I decided I needed money. I was working in the auto plant, making pretty decent money, right? But I, I decided to moonlight uh, in a, delivering pizzas. <laughs> So he comes up to the pizzeria and says, Bob, you're not at the meetings. Oh, no, no. You want to understand. I need money. He said, no, you need you need to go to meetings. No, 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 I'm fine. So he kept coming and coming and then slowly he doesn't come anymore. And eventually he didn't come anymore. But I would show them all. I went two years without a drink. And during that time, the wife picked up drugs. The kid got left back. <laughs> my kid got left back. And it was at my brother's wedding my younger brother's wedding i had to have the toast <laughs> for my brother's wedding you know it was alcohol right and then it started and it was in like another six years until the jail cell that's really uh-huh. instructive though bob because you talk about this initial experience in the rooms of 12-step recovery and then staying sober for two years without it my experience that uh, that's a dry spell <laughs> right oh, right horrible yeah right right untreated alcoholism and this magical moment where you've convinced yourself i stayed sober for two years so clearly i'm not an alcoholic right this won't be a problem i didn't celebrate much until i passed two years in the, in the fellowship and after two years mm-hmm. this is what happened I started, I was working an early morning shift at the auto plant, and I had such a thirst for knowledge. I felt like I didn't learn anything. I wanted to learn. So I would take a trip over to New York City and visit the Museum of Natural History. I remember going there when I was a kid, and I would visit a certain section of the museum every day. And 
for about, I would go there four, sometimes five times a week. I would touch meteors. I'd study shells, evolution, medieval art, religious and things like this. And after about four or five weeks, I felt full, like at a Thanksgiving dinner. And then I wrote the play. Yeah. And then I got the gift to write the play. Yeah. So. Yeah, so I needed I needed to get info. I, I it was like a door opening up for me. Absolutely, without question, Bob. What do you envision is the future for Visions Theater? Well, I'd like to continue to bring Visions across the United States, uh, where I've trained different groups to perform, and give an opportunity for that. And I'm on a, a mission now to try to bring it back to the White House, not you know, the House of Representatives again, so I can perform visions there. And then they can, all those congressmen can go in their pocket and leave their wallets on the ground for addiction treatment. Yes. Recovery funding. That's my aim. I, I am pursuing it as a passion. I love that pursuit. And we're in full support of that bob and we have folks that work for own run treatment centers that listen to this podcast so if you're one of those fine fine amazing individuals make sure to reach out to bob check the show notes it's all in there all of the contact info for Visions Theater is all in there, so go ahead and check that and reach out to Bob and see about getting Visions Theater going in your own facility. Charles, I'm going to offer you an opportunity to be in Visions anytime you come close to where we are in New Jersey, New York. I would That's, love to. Oh, no, you're in. You don't have to love nothing. You're in. That's it. You're in. Let's go. Let's go. I'm taking you up on that, Bob. Oh, no, please do. I would be offended if you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Bob, we have some closing questions for you. Are you ready? What does your daily or regular recovery routine consist of? Well, I, 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 spend, I, I spend time uh, reaching out to uh, recovery uh, organizations uh, to inform them about visions. I attend 12-step uh, meetings. I have a wonderful garden that's a little bit cold yet, but I have, oh, oh I, I'm become a bird, a bird watcher now, and I have about 25 birds that come in and out of my yard during the course of a week, different types. I feed them, I spend time, and I, I do have a wonderful garden that I spend time with. I'm married, I spend time uh, with my family, my wife, and uh, I have a business, and um, and I rehearse my troupe. Usually, uh, at least once a week, we meet, and uh, my life is pretty full, I, I think. I heard connection, I heard purpose, I heard service. I heard spirituality and this 
really amazing thing that we can experience in a recovery, which is the awareness of the things around us that are really quite amazing that we didn't notice prior to recovery. Wildlife in our own backyard. A garden that we get to tend to. These kinds of experiences are quite valuable in our recovery and prior to recovery we would probably laugh or you know scoff you know but they provide such meaning today when i get a chance i go fishing (laughs) bob by the way i love fishing it's great i fish with my kids my family and i always will remember Growing up with my younger brother, who, God bless him, would never put his own worm or minnow on his own hook, was squeamish to all get out, and Oz did it for him. And yet somehow, that kid always brung in the lunkers, and I got skunked <laughs> more often than not. Boy, I'll tell you what. Like, how am I baiting your own hook because you're too squeamish, and then you're the one bringing I, all that of That's not a love. <laughs> <laughs> Bob, what book or piece of recovery literature had the biggest impact on your recovery? That's a good question. I I think uh, I think I, I, I'm not. I'm, I would say the Wayfarers by William Duncan, a book on on God-intoxicated people in India. Unbelievable. That's the first time that's been suggested on this podcast. So that's great. We always love a new edition. The Wayfarers by William Duncan. That's great. Bob, what is the best piece of advice you have received in recovery thus far? Recovering people, addicted people, recovering people are special souls. And maybe we got lost. And once we find recovery, we have a way, an option. We have this wonderful path to come home. I really believe we're highly evolved souls. And uh, it was special. And our creator knows how special we are. Uh, And if we reach out to him, we'll get those those, uh, messages to intuition. I couldn't agree more, Bob, with that sentiment. Bob, what is the greatest challenge you've had in recovery thus far? Well... Uh, you know, every show to me, every vision show, I want to just talk about visions, you know, is always like it's my first show. There is no difference. When you're on your podcast, it's always like the first podcast. You know yes. That. Yes. yes. You know that. And sometimes the mountains you have to climb are on a steep and some are really steep. And sometimes by the time you get to the top of the mountain, or near it, you're almost out of breath. But when you make the top, you're just renewed again. And I think that happens with a lot, a lot 
you know, I say, I got to keep going an inch toward the yard mm-hmm. has been always my philosophy. Don't do it all at once, an inch toward the yard. That's really what we're doing in recovery. One day at a time, one step at a time, the next right thing. Bob, what is the greatest success you've had in recovery thus far? Well, I, I've had so many successes with the visions. I've and, and even the business, uh, my wonderful wife, my grandkids. <laughs> they, they, they're cool. I bet. And um, being able to leave work and not get fired. <laughs> and, and, and on the way out. You know, half of it was in recovery. Uh, be respected instead of laughed at, uh, and and being a good human being is it's just amazing. Uh, so they all all everything has been a, a wonderful journey. I think one of the things when we did the world convention in Philly, uh, half of the cast came out of the shelter in Patterson. And I put them on the stage. I put them in the Marriott. <laughs> they performed, and then they had to go back to the shelter. They'll never forget that. They, I'm yeah. sure they have. But anyway, there's just some wonderful things. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. A whole myriad of really amazing gifts there, Bob. The next one's a doozy, and then we end with a fun one. What is something you haven't forgiven yourself or someone else for? Well, you know, it was a guy at work one time. We had an argument and I and I did the right thing. I I went and apologized to him mm-hmm. right after. And mm-hmm. he was in shock. But never I never talked to him again for two months. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what was the sense of that? Right. <laughs> It bothers me to this day. Bob, why did you even apologize? <laughs> I'm sorry. No, it's I, such a that's such a human experience. It's such a relatable experience. A small, like, thing, small thing, yeah. Yeah, no, that but the things that stick in our psyche, you know. Uh, yeah. uh in terms of our imperfect human interactions, that's amazing. <laughs> you know, like yeah, we all can we all can identify with that. <laughs> Here's the fun one. What song symbolizes recovery to you? Throughout the vision show, the song Spirit by the Water Boys is played. Beautiful. Mm. Spirit is what man can be. It's beautiful. Beautiful. Spirit. That is another new one, Bob. Yeah. So that's great. Check the show notes right now for Bob's Song recommendation, Spirit by the Water Boys. His quit lit recommendation, The Way Fairers by William Duncan. His best piece of recovery advice as well is all of the contact information to get a hold of Bob. Should you want to reach out or should you want to learn more about Visions Theater, Bob? This has been absolutely amazing. Thank you so much for sharing your journey to and through recovery to this point and all about Visions Theater. 
absolutely spectacular. Charles, thank you. And remember, you're up this way. You're in, right? I'm in. Let me put my finger over there. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you, everybody out there in Way Out Podcast Land. We will talk to you next time. Thank you for being a part of The Way Out. We appreciate your ears. We're sharing powerful recovery stories and recovery power topics every week. So keep listening up. If you would like to reach out to the show, you can visit us on the web at wayoutcast.com. That's wayoutcast, all one word, dot com. There you can subscribe to the Way Out podcast on all of the major podcast aggregators, such as iTunes, CastBox, Stitcher, TuneIn, Podbean, Overcast, and more. Or simply drop your hosts a friendly email at share at wayoutcast.com. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the show, contact us at share at wayoutcast.com. See you next time. And remember, if you don't change, your sobriety date will.